Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Oh my gosh. Hi, Avrin. What is going on? It's been real warm. It's been real warm yes, today. Yes, it has. I don't know how many emails, and I don't remember ever signing up for this, but I get like emergency Los Angeles email alerts. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it's just because, I mean, I must have signed up for them, right? Mm-hmm. They're not tech. Because I don't get them. And so I keep getting them, and I'm like, oh, what's happening now? And all of them are just like, it's very dangerously warm outside forever. <laughs> I'm like, right. Okay. But it's like that thing when we lived in New York where they would have like, you know, places for older people to go when it was really cold or hot, actually. It's right. similar. So oh, they have, sure. That's yeah. the thing. I was like, oh, they have like community centers where people can go and hang out. Right. If they don't have working air conditioning yeah. or. Yeah, because it is definitely uh, been a scorcher. I've had the AC for the first time kind of running nonstop the last two days. Yeah, same. And it still is like 75 in here. Which is, yeah. I mean, I personally am like freezing at that rate. <laughs> like we sit outside today and if I'm not in the sun, I'm like, this is perfect. It's 99 degrees and it feels perfect to me. But I'm a hot weather person. I just am. Hey, then you're in the right place. Yeah, I, I like I like the warm weather here because it's dry. So at least you're not dealing with like yeah. heat and humidity. Yeah. Because man... Humidity is like where it hurts, you know. It's true. As, as long as you can find shade here, you're probably okay. It's true. I remember, uh, you know, when I was pregnant with Amelia, right before I gave birth, I was like on the subway platform waiting for the subway after work in August, and I was like, I took a picture of myself Oof. because I was. I've never been so miserable. It was so yes. hot. Oh my god! I just I know what that feels like. Not the pregnant yeah. part, but the August subway platform. No yeah. fun. <laughs> it's not. But, you know, the thing when I first moved to New York, though, my favorite thing was summers in New York, because when the sun goes down, it doesn't get cold. It's not like here yeah. where, where it gets obviously, cold at night. 
it's not cool for everybody, but for me, I'm like, I can't wear a shorty short skirt and be all in a tank top hanging out, walking around like I can in New York, which I love. That's right. Because it gets so. down like in the high 50s at night here, even in yeah. the summer. Yeah. That's, you need a jacket. That's like, that's socks weather, you know? It's true. I've never worn my Uggs so much, and I guess that's an L.A. thing, so. I'm, there you go. I'm basic. I'm basic. But I do. <laughs> I wore them so much, I actually need a new pair. It's, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I've never bought Uggs, so I guess I, I got to get on that train. I mean, if you do, it, they're, here's the thing. They're ugly, and they're kind of whatever, maybe a little douchey, but they are the most comfortable thing mm-hmm. in the world. And warm and it, snuggly. So warm and snuggly. I love them. Oh, my God. Guys, hi, everybody. I'm Vanya. I'm the ROM. Hi, Vanya. I'm Avrin, and I'm the crime, and this is Rom Crime. This is our true crime comedy podcast that we take forever to introduce that has romantic photographs. Ooh. Oh, not romantic. Again, it's never romantic, but whatever. It's a little sneak peek of something that's gonna, you're gonna, we shall reveal in the Photographs are gonna be a part of this story, (laughs) y'all. That's right. They're gonna be disgusting and not romantic at all, but... They were yeah. they were they were hot to some someone. That's um, good point. Yeah. Yes, and as uh, I guess we'll just remind everybody that Vanya and I are in the beginning of what's going to be a six week series where we're covering the new Chloe um, Kardashian produced ID TV show called yes. Twisted Love. Who knew Chloe Kardashian like true crime? Now we know. Yeah. And um, every episode is pretty much, you know. A rom-crime. Well, it is a rom-crime. And so All we're right. just going to cover each episode. This is episode two. Um, uh, what? Why can't I remember it's what the It's called title of it Love is. and Hot Lead. Ooh, how are we going to top title. that for a title? For I don't know. Episode? We're going to, ch- we like to change a title because whatever, we're just covering it. But right. Love and we're Hot not, Lead. We're not, yeah. I was thinking, my only thought that I had, Vaughn, which I think is pretty shitty, but it was two girls, one gun. And I was like, Ooh. no, because that's like playing off of. Two dirty, girls, one cup. Two dirty sex videos. Does everybody know what that is? Does everybody? Wh- when did when did that happen? I that never was a saw. Long it. time ago. Oh, I never saw it. I just know what it is. I didn't see it because I have a you know I, whatever. Who cares? I'm not. I'm a weenie. Okay, I can't handle like too much disgusting. But it's like real gross. Lots I just of- don't understand anybody that was told. If you watched it without being told, then I'm so sorry. But anybody who knew what it was and then was like, I can handle that. I, I was just like, oh, that's what it is? I'm good. I think that there's there's you and I like that. But then there's a lot, maybe like the other 70% of the world that's like, oh, my God, I got to see it. I mean, it's disgusting, but I must see it. I what, You know, I think my darling, darling, better half is, is like, I got to see that disgusting video. I just have to know it exists. I'm like, why? Uh. You're like, well, just don't don't tell me about it or what you thought. <laughs> yeah, there's another one out there where like I don't know, a guy sits on a glass like a like <gasps> he's gonna put like it up a bottle. His bo- yeah, and then it breaks. I know, gross. Oh man, you know what? I, I bet know. that shit happens way more than anybody thinks. I know. Talk everybody's to e- like, I'm talk gonna to be ER famous. doctors, and they're like, oh, well, you don't sure. even know the number of things that we have to remove, pull from out people. of people's butts. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm not a medical doctor here, but I'm going to go ahead and just go out on a limb and say, don't put glass up your ass unless yeah. it's specifically designed to go up there. Then go for it. Listen, of I'm course. not morally opposed to any of that. It's just it's just don't ow. put glass up your ass. Yeah. Maybe that's what we'll call this episode. <laughs> glass up your ass. 
People will be like, what is this episode about? Oh my we'll get God. a whole new kind of listener. I know. <laughs> All right. So as I guess we mentioned, um, two girls are um, the main characters. And they're not characters. I love that we keep saying that. The, mm-hmm. the main people in this story. So I'm going to go ahead and start and tell you a little bit about one of them. Tell. Her name is uh, Jennifer Jones. One thing I will say about this was I couldn't get over the way the names all kind of like beautifully like sink into the next like Jennifer Jones, Bobby Joe Smith, Bob Dow. And I was like, every name is kind of the same. But I'm going to tell you guys about Jennifer Jones. So the documentary basically starts and we meet Jennifer Johnson. They're showing all these um, photos of these two girls that are like clearly mad for one another. And one of those girls is uh, Jennifer Jones. And her best friend, Jennifer Johnson, describes her as a gentle, sweet, kind soul, but somebody who was also kind of innately sad and bullied a lot. Her mom was in jail. Her best friend actually doesn't even 100% know why. She thinks it had something to do with drugs. So Jennifer lived with her father and her two sisters, but... Their dad wasn't really around a lot, so the sisters, the girls kind of raised themselves. And then we meet Audrey, who is Jen's sister. And she describes their relationship as being close, but definitely like that sibling rivalry stuff that we all know. I'm one of four girls, so sibling rivalry. Our, mine was really just about like stealing clothes without asking. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask, what is sibling rivalry? I think it's just um, a rivalry between siblings. So when two siblings kind of like constantly look at each other as rivals, like maybe Mm -hmm. rivals for attention, rivals for, I don't know, boys. I'm thinking within families, it's usually probably more like rival for like parents' attention or guests at dinner's attention or clothes. Mine was clothes. I was always stealing my sister's clothes. Yeah. And she would get so pissed and then we would like scream it out and then, you know, we'd, we'd get over it. I'm actually yeah. very lucky. I'm super tight with my siblings. Not not real rivalry in any way there. Yeah, I know. I don't think I... I think I was too far apart from my little sister. But I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe she feels rivalry against me. I don't know. I think I'm a bit of an ADD child where I'm just like... My brain is bouncing to the next thing. So I don't have too much time to worry. Or not worry, but to like focus on Right, you didn't rivalry. dwell. Yeah, I couldn't, you didn't dwell I couldn't, on the things. You were already My brain wouldn't on. allow it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair and kind of awesome, actually. So Audrey, her sister, describes, yes, that they were very close. Obviously, they didn't really have parents in the picture. They kind of took care of each other. But there was a little bit of a a competition there. And then she also described her as somebody who got jealous easily, who got her feelings hurt easily, but was deep down an incredibly loving person. And Audrey says that she believes that Jennifer's kind of innate sadness came from lack of of love and attention from her parents. They weren't around to give her the kind of affirmation, um, reassurance, and just love in general that children require. They need that to actually, like, develop. It's it's important, and she didn't have that. So she was constantly seeking that kind of love from outside sources, from other people. But according to Audrey, the only type of attention that this ever got her was the wrong kind of attention. Mm. 
So then we cut back to Jennifer Johnson, the BFF, who gives an example of this. Um, Jennifer was uh, dated lots of guys, she said, and um, she was really, really, really into this one boy in high school who was a football player and super popular. And so they were kind of hanging out, and she thought that if she would just give him what he kept asking her to give him, then they would be together, and he would be her boyfriend, and he would love her. So she yeah. slept with him is what I took from that. They didn't uh, yeah, say that, so but too. that was basically what I think was insinuated. Yeah. And then two days later, he called her a slut and wanted to have nothing to do with her. I mean, that is and so high school. That is so, it's so high, school. high school, but it's also so mean. And so I mean. can totally understand how when you're at that age, you know, we mentioned this in several podcasts when young teenagers are involved in these stories, you know, the brain's mm-hmm. not fully developed yet. It's still right. like an undeveloped brain and the damage that, you know, people that teenagers really inflict on each other. It's like, they don't even realize the depth of how they could scar somebody with just a word, you know? And so her friend said that that rejection truly devastated Jennifer and really had her spiraling into a low place. And, but she was still really desperately looking for someone to love. Oh my God. And I'm going to toss it to you unless you have any comments. I just have a comment to say like, um, you know, it's like imagine nowadays where people have social media to like bully and be dicks about. I can't about. even. And I then also, there was a whole thing when I was in high school. It, I mean, it to me it was like a big deal, and probably nobody even knew about it. But like, I had a guy was trying. He was pressuring me to have sex, but I was like, I'm not having sex with you. I just was like, I'm not doing it. Like, I don't love you. Yeah. I'm just. Also, I just, it's not that I wasn't interested, but I kind of wasn't interested. I was just like, fuck off. I'm like, I'm, I must have been able to drive. Maybe not. I don't know. I was, I think I was 16, but barely. I would have been 15 or 16. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm like a strong woman. This is Alanis Morissette days. I'm just like, go fuck yourself. Not that way, but like, I'm sure I wanted to be cool and whatever. But then he told the whole school that we had, that we had sex. And I was like, why did you do that? And all his friends were like, yeah, you did. I'm like, no, I didn't. And I was, it was like, it upset me and really damaged. It like really made me hate men. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, you know, it, it sucked. I was just Forever like, why would you no, do that? No, that is horrible. You're why lying would you do about that? It? Like, yeah. It just basically, it's, it's one of those horrible moves that you see in certain types of people. I'm not going to say just men because I think well, all no. people are capable. But where they, where they truly think that that they can just create their narrative, that they're so yeah. powerful that, all right, you won't give it up, but then they're still going to tell everybody you did so that they get all the ber- like the benefits of that rumor. And also high schoolers. All the bullshit. High schoolers, yeah. yeah. Immature, selfish assholes. Yeah. And any, any high schoolers just listening, just so you know, if you have sex once, you are not a slut. I will show yes. you a slut. I'm kidding, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm and just don't like, let anyone say you are. No, and that's just, it's just, Here's the thing. I only talk about this in such apprehension is because I have two children and one of them is a female. And regardless of how great your school is, there's going to be somebody who's going to say something mean to her one day and it's going to upset me. I Anyways, pre-worrying. Punch them in the face. I like to be anxious, but I like to borrow trouble. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe Jones. No, sorry. Bobby, Bobby Joe Smith. Excuse me. She also, she was talked about but from her best friend 
as a uh, very positive person, a natural beauty who didn't have to wear makeup ever. And you see pictures of her and she really was like she had the coolest look. Yeah. Um, super outgoing. She had to be doing something all the time. Just was like a busybody. Um, and that Rebecca Bellamy was her best friend. Um, and she said, say, similar to Jennifer, that she basically raised herself. She had she had her grandparents, but her parents were not in the picture. So she stayed with her grandparents when she was growing up. But one thing that Rebecca said was, when kids raise themselves, they're bound not to come out right. Wait, she said they're bound to not come out not right or something like that. Anyways, but that's, you know, kind of a theme in both cases, you know. So she so Bobby Joe had a baby at 15, but she couldn't take care of the baby. And, uh, you know, she had no support. I think a lot of people who have kids at 15, their parents end up helping raise the child. So she didn't have that kind of support. So the her boyfriend got custody of the baby. And after that happened, that was like a big pillar in her life where everything sort of changed. She got tattoos. She buzzed her hair. And the way the documentary kind of said is, is it didn't make her sh- who she was. She was always destined to probably be gay. But she kind of really f- like fully was like, you know, dove into that that scene after that. Um, and let's see. So she met Jennifer's sister, Audrey. And Audrey was bisexual or gay. We don't know, but she liked girls and they started dating. And, uh, Audrey says, you know, apparently there was a long list of women that, that Bobby Joe had been with. And she was the one of like many, many, whatever. So one day Jennifer meets Bobby Joe. So Jennifer that Avrin just talked about with her sister, Audrey and Bobby Joe is in the car and they talk about it being like this, like magical, James Dean moment and I remember my friend my friend Daniel would say that when he knew he loved somebody he would see them in slow motion or if he knew something was destined he would see them in slow motion and so I assume that this has to be that kind of a moment um so Bobby Joe she's smoking she looks cool like James Dean she leans out the window and says hey I've got my eye on you to Jennifer and that like struck Jennifer's heart even though she was dating Jennifer's sister, Audrey. I was going to say, I think we understand where sibling rivalry came into I know, play that's here. some insane shit. Like, are you kidding me? It's ballsy of Bobby Joe. So ballsy. Ball- Bobby Joe asks to meet Jennifer the next day. And they do it. It is fire. And she kisses her. And Jennifer said, I was in love. I hadn't even been with a girl, but I was in love. All of a sudden, the world opened up to her when Bobby Joe kissed her. She felt like this is someone who is going to take care of me. So kind of crazy, right? So we're in March now, 2004. And unfortunately, instead of the couple like kind of revealing whatever and Bobby Joe breaking it off with Audrey or whatever, Audrey catches them in bed together and she is pissed. She's pissed that they went behind her back and that they hid it from her and yeah, it's like, what? Also, oh gosh. So with Audrey, then Audrey was like, I'm out, whatever. She So with her out of the picture, they were like all for each other. Real fast, real intense. They immediately meshed together perfectly because Jennifer wanted to be protected and loved because she didn't have that like motherly protection growing up and love growing up and acceptance. 
And Bobby Joe wanted to love and protect someone, possibly because she missed doing that with her own child. So they had this yeah. like really intense ex- you know, experience with each other. Yeah. They had they had complementing needs. Yeah. Like one of them wanted to nurture and one of them needed to be nurtured, you know? Yes. That's interesting. That is interesting how that right? that makes sense to me. So then enter Okay, so at the time, Bobby Joe lived with this guy named Bob Dow. And this was her baby daddy's stepdad, right. I guess, if that makes sense. So the guy that she had the baby with is was his stepdad, and that's who she lived with. And, like, from quite a young age, right? Like, I think they said 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of insane. I mean, good Lord. God protect our kids out there. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so she's very young. But Bob outwardly was a veteran. He was a hardworking guy, seemingly, who took care of his invalid mother. Invalid mother. Why is that so weird to say? And <laughs> invalid. Invalid. I'm an invalid. She's an invalid. Anyways, her invalid mother. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> and Bobby Joe lived in the same house. And after Bobby Joe and Je- Jennifer were together, she was like, yo, you want to move in with me? So Jen- Jennifer moves in with them. And here at this point, the documentary sort of alludes that Bobby Joe and Jennifer seemingly t- could took advantage of Bob. This became a party house. Anything goes. So at night, like they would every night they'd have parties or maybe it was just weekends. I don't know. But like they would have insane parties they would be drinking a lot, doing doing drugs and just any like lots of crazy sex stuff and whatever. Um, you know, high school. Yeah, high school. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, what? It seems very dangerous, actually. Like I can't it imagine. Absolutely does. Going to one of those parties and being like, I how can do scary! Whatever I want. Yeah, yeah, and that's one thing that I always want to teach my child. And who knows, she's gonna make mistakes and things like that. But like. Never be drunk around people you don't know when you're young. I'm sorry, but like if you're going to drink, you're going to drink. But just be around your friends. I mean, still bad things can happen. But like if you go to a party, I don't know. Make sure you know the people at the party or that you're always with someone you know. I know. It's just so it's beyond. Wait till you're 21. Your brain hasn't developed as Avrin said earlier, guys. (sighs) So her sister, Audrey, was afraid that she would get too attached to Bobby Joe. So Jennifer would get too attached to Bobby Joe. And... Jennifer, but Jennifer was super possessive and jealous is what this, the best friend of Bobby Joe said. So here's a new thing. Bob was a gun nut. So also at these parties, girls were partying with drugs and alcohol and guns, guys. What? I I just wrote help, H-E-L-P period, (laughs) help. That was the part that really stuck out to me where I was like, oh, no, it's bad enough to be like young and in like imbibing in any, you know, drug or alcohol or bad thing you want to do. But then like someone's like, want to play with this gun? It's like yeah. a miracle. Nobody accidentally killed someone. Yeah. Themselves. So they brought guns out of the parties and things like that. Yeah. So like what? So then in May of 2004, Bobby Joe has a birthday party at her grandmother's house and she gets a little birthday money. Isn't that exciting? That's so what's exciting. She, Avrin, what's she going to do with that birthday money? All right. So. Is she going to buy a Bible? Is she going to buy a Bible with that birthday she's money? She's totally going to buy a Bible. 
and two tickets to Bible camp for her and Jen. No, um, the girls decide with this birthday money that they're going to go to the mall. Duh. Remember, they're high school girls. Right. They're high school girls. Let's just remember that. Mm -hmm. So they're going to go to the mall and spend her birthday money. So when Bobby Joe and Jen are leaving the department store that they had been kind of browsing around in, security stops them and accuses them of shoplifting. So, unbeknownst to Bobby Joe, Jennifer had taken a watch from the department store and put it in Bobby's bag. Rude. I know. Also, I'm sorry, Jennifer. Mm, you're not so innocent, bitch. I, this is where I think everything gets a little bit like, it's interesting how those who know and love somebody see somebody and want others to see them. I feel like we talked about this a little bit in our last episode about like wanting to protect an image. So even Uh though everybody who was describing these girls in this story, like knew where the story was going, this to me was interesting when they said this, I was like, I didn't see this coming. So yeah, she stuck a watch without telling Bobby Joe in Bobby Joe's bag. They get stopped and searched and it's found and they are arrested. Now, you might think, wouldn't they just call their parents? Well, first of all, what parents? But second of all, they're arrested because Jennifer has several priors for breaking and entering, shoplifting, general thievery. Now, Bobby Joe had never been arrested, but as a result of Jen's priors, they do not get any kind of benefit of the doubt, and they are arrested and taken to jail. That's so scary. So, it is so scary. So that happens. Thanks for ruining her birthday, Jen. Yeah. And Bob Dow has to come and bail the girls out. And he's pissed, you guys. Like, you had to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get these girls out. And when they all get home, Bob tells Jennifer that she's going to have to pay him back. Jennifer gets out of the, the car and goes into the house and tells Bobby Joe that Bob said that she was going to have to pay him back. And the two decide, you know what? I think it's time we just get the F out of Bob's house. This guy is a drag. We don't want to hang with him no more. So the very next evening, so this was May 4th, the day of the birthday party, jail, very event, like a very eventful birthday. Who knew the start of just whoa. So the Mm -hmm. next day, May 5th, the girls come back in the evening when Bob's not going to be home. The doors are locked, which I kept thinking when I was watching this, I was like, didn't Bobby Joe live there? Does she not have a key? But maybe she forgot to bring it or something, but they can't get in. The doors are locked. So they decide they're going to have to break in because they want to get their stuff while he's gone and get it out of there so he doesn't know that they're leaving. And uh, Jennifer attempts, and I guess successfully, breaks the window to the back door open, but she cuts her hand in the process. And so there's Jennifer's blood is actually left like on the glass of the shattered window. They get inside. They go into Bobby Joe's room and they start packing all of their belongings. Now, while the girls are packing, Bob Dow comes home. And later that night, a neighbor will call 911. And now I'm like, see previous page. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the police receive a phone call from a neighbor that reports shots fired at Bob Dow's address. When officers arrive at the house, nobody answers. And so they're kind of walking the perimeter as you do. You've seen cop shows, you guys. You know how it works. Um, And one of the officers spots the broken window on the back door and the blood smear. 
which now gives them probable cause, and police enter the home of Bob Dow. Can I ask a dumb question? Sure. What is what is probable cause? So police, at least in um, our country, as I understand it, and most countries, I think, they can't just like go into anyone's home without permission. So you can't search someone's home without a warrant, right? Unless they walk into your house and a bag of drugs is sitting in plain sight on the, you know, credenza next to the front door. (laughs) That's probable cause that it's always on the credenza (laughs) hanging on that credenza. But you know, that's probable cause. I can see it in plain sight that a crime has been committed so they can enter without permission. Okay, thank you. Like vampires. You. Cops are like vampires. They gotta be given permission <laughs> to come inside. <laughs> so whoo! Police enter a just shit show, y'all. Mm. And the cop walks into the very first uh bedroom, and there he, I believe it was a he cop, finds a dead body. The victim is naked with a striped bag over their head. And an obvious gunshot wound in their arm. Police continue to search the scene, walk into another room, and find another body. That has, like, their, the sheet kind of pulled over their face or a pillow over their face. Only this victim, Bob Dow's mother, is not dead. But she's barely alive y'all wait did you they... shit your pants in while watching the documentary because i did when she breathes i mean it's a reenactment yes, but I... <laughs> yeah it was a great like jump moment it's like, they have to, like <gasps> breathe they like she breathes into the sheet over her face and the cops I are like ah! yeah <laughs> i swear to god it was a little bit of a horror movie moment it thank was. you id discovery yeah for your reenactments so <laughs> but what police do discover is a barely alive mother of bob dow she is extremely malnourished and um, not doing well at all but not as a result of any specific injury like whatever happened to the 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 dead body in the other room it's not the same situation this woman was just left the way she was living and so they rushed her to the hospital but it's definitely too late for the other victim you guessed it guys Bob Dow because he he's dead He's dead. He's dead. Dead (laughs) Dead, dead. Why? That's so mean of me. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm making light. Whatever. So Bob Dow is dead. We're going to get into it. And I think my cavalier attitude will make a little bit of sense, but I should still not be quite so cavalier about someone being (laughs) murdered. Okay. So then we cut back to Audrey. Audrey, Jen's sister, Baba Joe's ex. It's all so complicated. And she recalls that evening that Jen and Bobby kind of like, burst through the front door of their child like their house where the sisters lived and they're totally like freaking out she says jennifer's crying and bobby joe's all like hyped up and she they tell audrey that bob dow had tried to force himself on jennifer and that they had shot him so audrey's like okay well you guys we need to call the police like if it was self-defense like let's just get the cops involved everything's going to be fine but here's the thing y'all they took bob's truck and they want to go on the run they want to go on the run now audrey she doesn't much like or care for bobby joe i think we all know why but she also (laughs) believes that she's but she also believes she's dangerous for her sister and now that her sister has 
shot someone, she's like, yeah, this girl, she brings out something bad and scary in you. So she basically <laughs> is like, well, if you guys are running, I'm going with you because she doesn't want to leave. She doesn't want her sister to go off alone with Bobby Joe. And while they're on the run, Audrey keeps trying to convince Jen that they should just leave, go back, and she should turn herself in. She never explicitly says, like, let's ditch Bobby Joe, but she feels like it was implied and that Jennifer was definitely picking up on that vibe. And then they're at this diner and a cop car drives by and the two girls, Bobby Joe and Jennifer, become convinced that Audrey's called the cops on them. So they hop in Bob's truck and they straight up ditch Audrey in a town called Buckeye, Arizona. Rude. So now you're just, just, now you're just ditching your sister in the middle of nowhere? Like, you guys, take a deep breath and think about what's happening around yeah. you. All right, so now it's May 8th, 2004, three days after Bob Dow was murdered. Jennifer and Bobby Joe <clears throat> have been on the run for three days, you guys. They're tired. So they pull over in Blythe, California to get some sleep. They park Bob's truck behind a pool hall and Z's await them. So now by this time, in Mineral Wells, Texas, where this story took place, the cops have issued arrest warrants for both girls and had put out an APB on Bob's truck. An APB is an all-points bulletin, which means all police know that this truck is the, uh, you know, murder fugitives have this truck with this license plate, so be on the lookout. We think they're going west. Anyway, the Blythe police see the truck and the two girls sleeping in it, and Bobby Joe and Jennifer are arrested. So, yeah, not a very long run. Three days, not bad, not great, you know. Yeah. Not, no Bonnie and Clyde there, but uh, they, yeah. you know, they, they, they got away for a few days. So detectives back in Mineral Wells are processing the crime scene. So they're at Bob Dow's and they're going through everything. And that image of good guy Bob Dow a veteran who served his country, who took care of his ailing mother, and even took in a troubled teen. Well, that shit all starts to come crumbling down. Mm-hmm. Bob Dow, I love that I wrote down here, Bob Dow, as it turns out, was a motherfucking monster. Yeah. yeah. Police find evidence that the parties that Bobby Joe was throwing at his place, you know, and totally taking advantage of him, you guys, mm-hmm. like this poor old guy mm-hmm. just can't control these wild teens. No, no. These parties were Bob's parties he had a deal like an agreement with bobby joe that she would bring young girls over to the house and then he would get to be like the lone guy in this party full of young girls who were wasted and there was a lot of photographs taken of drunk naked there were guns and knives in these photos um several of the they say several of the photos looked like the girl in the photo knew she was being photographed but most of them looked like the girl in the photo was so wasted she had no idea what she was doing and it was also really clear that most of these girls were underage so bob is in possession of all of these uh photos they also find like just a ton of porn lots of dirty porn and on one of his um i think computers they actually end up finding several photos of Bobby Joe herself unconscious being assaulted by, by him. Bob Dow. So 
We this don't guy know was exactly, a monster. This guy was a monster. We don't know exactly when Bobby Joe found those photos. We do discover that pretty much right before this all went down, she became aware of the fact that he had been sexually abusing her. That's why he was constantly giving her drugs and alcohol, um, was to knock her out so that he could take advantage of that. And apparently it had been going on. The photos went back to when she was 12 years old. And what about the dying mother, the invalid mother? That he so lovingly cared for, as his neighbors thought. Well, it turns out he was barely, he was doing, he was doing the bare minimum, so she just didn't die on him. She was locked in her room. He never bathed her, and she was only fed, like, fast food a few times a week. Like, he was not taking care of her. That's so upsetting. She was a dying prisoner in her son's home. Whew. Okay. So, the picture-perfect good neighbor was anything but... Police also find out through interviews with attendees of Bob's parties that he was obsessed with Jennifer, obsessed with having sex with her, obsessed with bothering Bobby Joe about making it happen. He said he's going to have her. And Bobby Joe finally said, you know what? No, not this girl. I love this girl. Like, I didn't bring her for you. And Bob doesn't give a fuck. And he keeps trying and he keeps pressuring Jennifer and he keeps pestering Bobby Joe. And this enrages Bobby Joe. And I'm assuming also, you know, then finding out that he'd been abusing her all those years enraged her even well and rightfully so. But the last straw really came after that day at the mall when the girls were shoplifted. So you guys remember how uh, Jennifer told Bobby Joe um, that Bob Dow insisted that she had to pay him back for bailing them out? Well, he didn't mean money, y'all. Mm-hmm. He didn't want he didn't want them to repay the hundreds of dollars. No, she was going to have sex with him. That was what that's what he insisted she do to pay him back. That is why they wanted to run. That is why they wanted to move out and get their things. He was basically saying, like, you're going to have sex with me. Like, now I got you. You owe me something. And so they were trying to run. Monster. Yes. Okay. So as we mentioned, the girls were arrested three days after his murder. And um, Jennifer um, confesses, pleads guilty, is given a 48-year sentence. And this is some of the information that was given about what happened that night in her confession. So in Jennifer's confession, she says that the night of the murder, she came out of Bobby Joe's room where they had been kind of packing up their things and into the living room where Bobby Joe and Bob had begun to argue. So Jennifer turned, walked into Bob's room, and got his pistol, and she hid it just adjacent to his bed. Then she walked back to the living room and told Bob that he was right. They did owe him for bailing them out. If he wants to have sex with her, that would be okay. And I was like, wait, huh? Oh, wow. Premeditation, guys. Here we go. So then she takes Bob to the bedroom where they do start to have sex. Jennifer then tells Bob that she wants to be on top, but that she does not want to have to look at his face. So he reaches over and grabs a striped laundry bag that was lying next to them on the bed and puts it over his head. Then Jennifer leans over and grabs the pistol from where she had hidden it next to the bed and fires three shots into the laundry bag. Bobby Joe rushes into the room. Bob was still, I guess, moving a little bit. And Bobby Joe asked Jennifer if he was dead. Jennifer was like, eh, if you could see my face, you would understand <laughs> what I was saying. She's like, I think so. Um, Bobby Joe tells Jennifer she better make sure. 
And then a fourth shot was fired from the edge of the bed, which struck Bob's arm. So that was that immediate gunshot wound that police noticed. Struck his arm before eventually lodging in his neck. Bob is dead. He's dead. He's dead. I said it again like that. Um, However, police did mention that there is no evidence that, well, there's no way for them to actually know who fired the final, the fourth and final shot. They don't ever insinuate that the fourth and final shot was the shot that killed him. But they don't actually know that it wasn't Bobby Joe because it was shot from a different distance. Mm. And the way that Jennifer described it was that, you know, she was told to make sure he was dead. So maybe she was like, give that to me. Boom. All right. So as I mentioned, um, Jennifer pled guilty and was sentenced to 48 years. But Bobby Joe pleads not guilty because she didn't shoot him. And she claims... You know, that she had no idea this was going to happen. She was not involved. It wasn't planned. But Jennifer testifies against Bobby Joe and tells them everything, that they definitely had planned it, which is weird. It's kind of glossed over in the documentary. They don't Mm -hmm. actually talk about premeditation up until they start talking about Jennifer's confession. So a lot of that is somewhat unclear. But the testimony from Jennifer against Bobby Joe pretty much seals her fate. And she, too, is found guilty and sentenced to 50 years. And that seems unfair to me, but go on. Well, it's weird. You know, a lot of times they the way this was framed up from what I understand, from what I read, from what we learned in the documentary is that it's the story that was told in court, at least, and in confession was that. Bobby Joe planned the murder. Jennifer carried it out. And right. I do know that that actually gotcha. is true. So if you hire a hitman and they catch you and the hitman, you, the, the hirer of the killer, is always oh. going to serve more time than the killer. Oh. Because the killer you know. wouldn't have done it if you hadn't paid them to do it. Good point. You know what I mean? It's just a job. So you're the planner. You're the one who wants it done. You're more guilty than the person who pulls the trigger if it's like a contract thing. Not that she paid Jennifer or anything. So that's this story, you guys. But what was the most fascinating part about this documentary, and this is what I was really most interested in talking to you about, Vanya, is Mm -hmm. they actually have, they interview both girls from prison. (gasps) I know. At the end. And so that's why I didn't end with like, and then they went to jail. Because here's the thing. Only three people really know what was going on in that house in the time when Jennifer had moved in. Only Bobby, Joe, and Bob really know what was going on for the, you know, her entire young adult life up to that point. But they're the only ones that know exactly what happened and why. And so then they're interviewed. And I just found it to be fascinating because everything that we were told about these two girls and their dispositions and their personalities, I don't know if jail changed them or prison changed them. Clearly, I believe that it Definitely could. You're 18 years old and you go into yeah, yeah. prison for murder for the, re- you know, for pretty much the rest of your life. You're going to get out in your late 60s or, you know, almost 70 or whatever. That sucks. Yeah. Um, But the the way they described these two girls, you know, like we've got like sad, desperate for love, bullied Jennifer. And then we've got like confident, exuberant James Dean, Bobby Joe. And when you see these two in prison, like, that is not the impression I got, Vanya. What about you? Like, Mm. Jennifer seems super confident. I would borderline say cocky. Yeah, 
For sure. The first thing she says is, I just want you to know that you should be incredibly honored that I'm talking to you because I'm trying to put this to bed and get on with my life as she's serving like a 50-year sentence. And then Bobby Joe is is so sorry and so sad and such a victim of Bob Dow. Like, doesn't even realize that she had been a victim for so long and only sees her, herself as a victimizer from bringing, for bringing all of those girls to his house. And it's yeah. like, no, he groomed you. Yeah. He abused you from that's, a young age, you know? That's what actually and, kills me. That when, when the interviewer asked her now, uh, yeah. if you saw Bob Dow, what would you say to him? And she said, I would tell him I love him. And they're like... And then the interviewer's like, What? <laughs> Why would you even after but, everything he did to you and those girls? Yeah. And she's like, and I so I, know. I felt like I was like, well, what the hell? That's a, you know, I, I looked it up. You know, I was like, what is this? Is this Stockholm syndrome? It could be. Mm-hmm. Um, is it like a survival thing? Like the only person who showed her like kind of took care of her, even though she found out he was, you know, abusing her and doing all these things. I mean, it's a very warped mm-hmm. lo- love. I mean, I it's like. This is where I feel bad that she's in jail for so long because I feel like he, I don't know, not like he deserved it, but like he kind of, he was hurting so many people. It's like how he was a predator. And so in a way, I mean, think someone in the documentary, I think it's Bobby Joe's best friend. She's like, I think it's a damn shame that these girls are spending the rest of their lives in jail when they, they probably saved so many girls from abuse and the cycle continuing yeah but, but that's it's like what, i wrote that's down what kills me yeah it's so sad i wrote down a few things that just struck out to me in their interviews so they ask the girls about each other so like oh yeah and so jennifer describes bobby joe as a tornado somebody who is destructive who sucks you into their mess and you're trapped And she said that their entire relationship, Bobby Joe was always testing her and that this was the ultimate test of her loyalty and faithfulness. And then, you know, she gives examples of like, she would put boys in front of me. Like she was always trying to get me to say that I would be disloyal to her. And she's like, and I think this was the ultimate test and I didn't want to fail it because I was, you know, caught up in this tornado that is Bobby Joe. And then they say, um, well, what do you think about Bobby Joe now? And she says that she feels sorry for Bobby Joe. And they ask Jennifer, did she ever love Bobby Joe? And she said, no. She was like, I was devoted to her, but I didn't love her in that, you know, like special way that's real that I guess she must have since experienced. I'm not sure or just understands now that that's not what love was um, and says that she never loved her. And then we go to Bobby Joe who is asked about Jennifer and she says that, you know, she it doesn't hate Jennifer. She doesn't blame Jennifer, even though she still stands by the fact that Jennifer lied by saying that she handed her the gun and told her to kill him. That's what she testified to. Um, but she says she doesn't blame her. And then again, with the Bob stuff, she says that he was like a dad to her. He taught her things and she thought that he was the only one who ever protected her. And then that's when she says, what would you say to him? And she says, I would say, I love you. And it's like, <sighs> there is that, I don't know. That's what really killed me. And so part of yeah. me was like, I don't know that I think that Bobby Joe had any idea that Jennifer was going to do this. Also, just based, again, 
The documentary is not super fleshed out in certain areas, but even Mm -hmm. based on the stuff in the confession, it doesn't say ahead of time, Bobby Joe and I planned this. She sees an argument between the two of them. She goes and gets the gun. She hides it. Then she comes out and says, you know what, Bob, let's fuck. And then she shoots him in the face. And so I don't know. I'm not saying that I know what happened, but based on their attitudes about things and like the way that they both Bobby Joe's clearly still at one point she describes herself as being a maggot, like less than oh, so sad. You know, like something that crawls out of a dead person. And and Jennifer tells the documentarian that she should feel very privileged that she agreed to speak to her. Like those mm. are the two juxtapositions. Yes. So I was left really truly questioning whether or not Bobby Joe was she was clearly there. She ran on the run. If anything, she, you know, she aided and abetted a murder. Right. Maybe she fired that final shot to make sure he was dead. We don't know. But I don't know. That was just my takeaway, you guys. But I feel I, like yeah. I didn't think it like didn't seem like Bobby Joe necessarily helped plan this. No, I totally Seemed know a little what you mean. Fly by the seat of her pants. You know, somebody that slips watches in other people's bags when they're not looking. Absolutely. She had m- multiple priors. And she had mm-hmm. just as in a different way messed up you know or fractured let's say childhood than as bobby joe it is really sad and i have to say that i left that documentary also feeling the same way where i felt actually really bad for bobby joe because honestly she she looked really hard like she had tattoos on her face and stuff like that um you know but i but i don't think she's hard you know what i mean does that make sense Mm -hmm. like i feel like if you're profiling someone and you look at the two of them, you look at Jennifer and she seems innocent and like, just think, oh my God, what's up? And then you see Bobby Joe and she looks kind of, she looks like a criminal in a way, but I don't, Yeah, I'm with you. I left feeling like she was a victim of, of intense neglect as a child and sexual abuse from this guy. And then she, she talks about how she doesn't get to see her son and it, kills her every day that makes me really sad yeah i I mean who knows maybe she's crazy i mean sure both of them have their issues but i agree with you i feel like jennifer who was like you're fucking lucky to be talking to me you know that's weird right it was just strange because we go the this also i'm just throwing this out here rom criminals everyone listening if you want to watch this episode as we mentioned it's twisted love on id it's episode two called Something in hot lead. Love and hot lead. Yep. Lead. Is it hot? Oh, yeah. Hot lead. Yeah. Love and hot lead. Hot lead. I think let's say it's love and hot lead. Um, love and, <laughs> but it's I the said. second episode. <laughs> and if any of you actually want to give, give it a watch, I would love your opinion. Because yeah. the way that it's laid out is we get these, these secondary people describing the two of these, the two girls and the event that took place. But then unlike usually as a true crime documentary, you know, obsessive compulsively watching all the time person, um, <laughs> you don't necessarily always get a firsthand account from the people accused of the crime. Right. And so for them to then come in at the end with this, these two interviews with these two girls and for me to feel so wildly different about the two of them versus what I had just spent 35 yeah. minutes learning about them and feeling like I wasn't seeing evidence of any of that. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'm just throwing that out there. I know. And also Jennifer the story, so. punches the window. I, you got to watch it. I think this this is not one of those. I feel like this series is not one of those things where it's like spoiler alert kind of thing. You could listen before and then watch, you know, or vice versa. Absolutely. And even but, if you just go to the end to watch the interviews, yeah. you could fast forward to like the last 15 minutes. But I would be so curious because I really was like, I don't I don't buy I also, buy that maybe she's willing to fuck the guy. I mean, they I mean, actually started having sex. Gross. Ew. Yeah. I'm like, I was just like, no. So, who I mean, knows? who knows? I guess, like we said, the only people that know what happened are the two of them. And they have vastly different stories. So. Mm, so crazy. It's so crazy. And that that concludes uh, two girls, one gun. <laughs> yep. I think that's what it's got to be. It's two girls, one yeah. gun. And you know what? It may be in poor taste for us, but guess what? Whatever. That's fine. <laughs> We're, we have poor taste on occasion. Sometimes we do. And actually, let's lean into it. It's summer, guys. Sizzling summer. It's hot. Blockbusters. Let's just, yes. By the I'm way, Avrin, I just watched Palm Springs and I fully enjoyed it. Palm Springs is on Hulu, guys. It's a rom-com. I told you I, wa- I, told you I watched it, right? Yes. I loved it. I, I mean, too. it was goofy, but it was so enjoyable. I laughed. I laughed a lot. I laughed a lot. Oh, I, I, lo- a, I loved it. I enjoyed it. it. And I love that girl. I, I don't know what her, her name, but I, she's great. I would, Andy Samberg's um, the guy. Yeah. And it's the mother from How I Met Your Mother. I feel like her name's like yes. Christy or Christine something, but I don't I don't want to say the wrong name. Yeah, she was good. But she was great. I like her a lot, too. And it was just fun. It was a fun, um, a fun concept you know not entirely new but like a, a different take on an old concept that we've seen yeah. before it's like groundhog's day but with a twist you know yeah it's like i, I really like to a time loop you know you've read about those or you've heard about those and she's like that i've heard that i maybe heard about i don't know <laughs> i almost highly recommend palm springs on hulu totally i've um, been watching a lot of um foreign true crime series so not like ooh. documentaries they're fake and right now, I'm really into apparently like the Netherlands area and their way of true crime storytelling. Because I just oops, whoop! Hold I on, lost just one on. second. I I was adjusting my headphones and I killed the. She call. hung up on me. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She doesn't want to hear about Norwegian true crime fictional stories, and neither do you guys. So we're just gonna end Wait, and say I do though. I love it. I'm just saying there's this great series on Netflix. That I watched the first season forever ago, and out of nowhere, the second season came out. It's called Dead Wind. Okay. Very fun. Great. Takes place in Finland. And then I can't remember all of a sudden the name of another. Oh, Modus. Modus? Which is about a Modus, M-O-D-U-S, which is a Swedish, like, crime show. But in the second season, there's, like, a whole angle where the American president visits. So it's, like, half English, half um, Swedish and the American president is played by Sex and the City's Kim Cattrall. What could be better? Shut up. So good. Great. So that's season two, but season one was also really good. I'm like, into both of those. It's all about profiling. So my my beautiful listeners, our beautiful rum criminals out there, we warmly love and hug you from afar. We miss everybody. We miss being around people and just thank you for listening. Hey, thank you everyone from last week for uh, telling a friend about this podcast. If anybody who hasn't this last week feels like they should this week, tell a friend. Share the love, baby. Spread it. 
spread it, spread but don't spread coronavirus. Coronavirus. Do not spread spread coronavirus. <laughs> wear a, a mascarias. Okay, guys. My mom was so cute. I'm going to give a shout out to my mom because she said something to me. Betsy, you. we love you. I hope you're feeling good. Um, she doesn't have coronavirus. That sounded like a weird sick <laughs> But she was, um, she has coined the term COVIDiots for all the people that refuse to wear masks. COVIDiots. I love it. Hashtag COVIDiots. Trademark Betsy Mackey. Or Betsy. I don't know. Well, you guys know my last name. She's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> She's brilliant. But we love you guys. Thank Bye. you for listening. Bye. God bless. Mm, 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 mm. Mm.